We're going to pick up where we left off. We're in the eighth week of this series called Equipped. And what we've been looking at is, is where are we at as far as the church of God? Are we equipped to handle the things that are, are before us or are we not? And we began to unpack this idea, specifically looking at Ephesians 6 with the armor, but more so out of 1 Timothy, understanding what it is that we need to be equipped for. Or excuse me, 2 Timothy, I said first. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine and reproof, correction, instruction and righteousness that the man of God God may be a cl- complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, as we get into this, we got to understand something. The first thing is, where did this come from? Was this written by man? The answer is, yeah, absolutely it was written by man. But how did they write it? They were inspired by God. All Scripture. Now, if you were coming on Wednesday nights, you learned something. that when it says Scripture, more often than not, it's a reference to the Old Testament. But we also saw several places where Paul refers to Luke's writing as Scripture, New Testament writing, and other places like that. So it wasn't like they did not recognize the New Testament as Scripture. But we got to see what this is. It says that all Scripture is inspired by God, and then you skip past that, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped. Here's the thing. If you don't know this, you are ill-equipped. If you don't know what it says, as I was given that word this morning, one of the things that we know is that if if you do not know the authority that you have, it is useless. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, imagine a cop pulling somebody over, not sure if they have the authority to write them a ticket or not. What would your response to them be? Why are you stopping me? Like, you got to know, right? you got to know. My brother was a cop for years, and he told me one time, and I don't know if this is true of every cop, but he told me that he would not pull somebody over unless they were going 11 over. That was valuable information to have. <laughs> right? I asked him, I said, is everybody that way? He says, well, no, not everybody. See, what happened is he was a cop in Nebraska City, and when he first got this, you know, a lot of guys, when they get that kind of authority, it tends to go to their head. And what would happen is I'd be driving through Nebraska City, usually going to Omaha, to Menards, or whatever. He'd pull me over every single time. Every time. There was not a time that he didn't see me that he didn't pull me over. And I'd be like, what's going on? He's like, no, I just wanted to say hi. Now, this is my brother. My little brother. That means I'm up here, he's down here. That means when we were kids, I thumped him a lot. And believe me, the temptation was there every time he pulled me over. But I had no choice but to stop. Because I was never 100% sure it was him. And I was very tempted, just for the fun of it, to drive away from him at a very fast rate. Just to mess with him. But there was two problems that could occur. One, it might not be him. And two, he was new at this and may have a supervisor with him. Explain that one away. Would have been very costly for me. The thing was is that when you are in those positions, you have to know your authority. The only way you know that authority is because they have been thoroughly equipped through the time and training and the preparation that they go through to not only have the authority, but how to act on it. The things they can and cannot do with the authority that's been given to them. And so that is where we are. As Christians today, are we equipped to carry out the work of the ministry on this earth? There's an equipping that goes on through the study of the Word. That's good, but if you only study and you never act, it does you no good. You ever met somebody who's super book smart? 
I mean, could just come up with advanced calculations and all of that, but has absolutely no common sense at all. We call them book smart folk. I'm not one of those. Maybe you aren't either. I have a relative that is one of those. Incredibly smart person. uh, Graduated top of their class through college and everything like that. But she's dumber than a box of rocks. I mean, my goodness. She can't go to a restaurant and make a decision on what she wants to eat. It's too complicated. Has to ask other people for advice. You know, there are just people out there like that. So it's not a matter of having this head knowledge. It's just a matter of knowing who you are. Knowing the authority that's been given to you. And where do we come to this knowledge? Well, we come to it through Scripture. Because here's the thing. We would know nothing about the character of God if there was not something solid of which reveals it to us. You can go out there and speculate about God, come up with ideas that maybe God is this way or maybe God is that way. But because of what God has done, He has left us a record of His history with mankind that we can go and fall on to see exactly how the character of God responds. Now, here's the thing. People argue with this all the time. Well, no, that's not exactly how God would be. I don't think God would do that way. That God wouldn't act that way. God would never Kill the Canaanites, that's not God. God would never sacrifice His own Son. He's not some genocidal, homicidal maniac that's out there. The problem is, except it says that He did. So we try to create this God and we we come up with all these excuses for God's character that doesn't fit what we think is right, and therefore we come to this conclusion, oh, this must be how God is. Do you realize that, you might find this hard to believe, but just because a politician mentions God doesn't mean it's the God of the Bible. I know, politicians, right? They're all upright, outstanding citizens. Always have our best interest at heart. Just because somebody mentions God does not mean that they are referencing the God of the Bible. Just because somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, doesn't mean they even know what that term means. A lot of them is like, well yeah, I believe in God. Okay, great. According to James, so do the demons. Irrelevant. See, the thing is, is that if you're not equipped to handle the situation of the day, you won't know how to act. And if you've never started in the small things, that when the big things hit, you won't know how to handle it. Think about what we talked about several weeks ago with David and Goliath. He did not just walk up one day and say, boy, I'm going to go take on this giant, and I'm going to do it with a bag full of rocks. It's going to be awesome. He talks about the bear and the lion, all the things that equipped him and prepared him to handle the things that were coming against him. He was ready. So it wasn't like he was just out there. So now as we get into this, one of the things that we have to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is what equipping process do we have? We've seen that in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul talking to the church of Ephesus. Let's go to verse 10. We're going to begin to hone this down a little bit. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. He says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, what are the wiles of the devil? Those are the ways, the method, the methodos, it's the Greek word used, that he comes and attacks. And what we see is that Diabolos, uh, uh, the devil, Diabolos is the word, is as one throwing a rock time and time again until he finally breaks through. It is this road path that he takes to get into your mind. Because if he can get you thinking wrong, then you'll start believing wrong. And if you believe wrong, then you will act wrong. Verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And I'm going to pause here, this little side note, I'm not going to charge you extra for this, but I want you to think about something. If you read the Old Testament uh, and different parts, you'll see that you had the prince of Tyre and the king of Tyre. You've got the prince of this and the king of that, and it's always a reference to the man 
and the power behind it, the spiritual power. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, and a spiritual host of wickedness. Now, what am I getting at? Is that politically you had the person enacting it, but you had the spirit behind it leading it. That means when you're on Facebook arguing politics all, the day, all day long, you're arguing with the wrong person. Because when somebody is off in their beliefs, if they believe that abortion is a right, that it is simply a medicinal thing that women should be able to do, and not the onslaught, murder, sacrifice of, of young children, then you are wrong in your thinking. But that is not something you just came to. That is the enemy that has infiltrated this world and has now put that thought in your life. I don't know if you found this out or not, but arguing with people on Facebook doesn't typically go very far. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's more frustrating than anything. So because of all of this, then verse 13 says, Therefore, so because of this, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take in the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end in all perseverance and all supplication with this, or for all the saints. Now, Let's look at this for a second. It says in verse 11, it says, put on the whole. Now that word put on is the Greek word endyo, E-N-D-Y-O, E-N-D-Y-O. And when it's used in there, it's like putting on a new, bought a new suit once, and you put it on, you look pretty good. It's kind of like when you're going to prom and you rent a tux, you look good for one night. But nobody owns those things, right? Why would you own them? So it's like putting on a new suit. And, and the word whole means to complete as in all that you need. In other words, you didn't just forget to put on the shirt or the tie. It's a, it's a completion. It's not you individually pick the pieces you want. It all comes together that you cover yourself completely with the complete armor of God. And because of that, you are able to withstand any attack that comes from the enemy. Which means that if you don't put on part of it, you are ill-equipped. If you leave something off, you are not prepared. And if you think you have it on, and you really don't, you're not prepared. Now, there was something that came about in the late 70s and the early 80s. And they were called underoos. You guys remember these? I got pictures up here. I don't normally put pictures of people in their underwear, but you can kind of see them there, can't you? Now, there was something magical that happened when a child put these on back in the day. As you can see, these Superman and Spider-Man here, they had all of them, all the superheroes. In fact, some of the Superman ones even came with the cape because you were complete. But what happened when a child put these on is they were faster than a speeding bullet. They were more powerful than a locomotive able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And guess what? There ain't no kryptonite. They would put this on and they were fully convinced. And so what did they do? You, you, I remember hearing stories. I, I won't say whether I did any of this stuff or not. I can neither confirm nor deny this. But, you know, you'd put these things on and you'd climb on top of the back of the couch. Because you could fly. And you'd jump. And it would hurt. Climb to the bookshelf. You could fly. You'd tell your brother, punch me. It's going to hurt your hand. It didn't. I mean, it was something magical that happened when you put these on because you became the character 
that that embodied. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. But were you really any of those things? Of course not. You see, sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking, boy, I'm ready for everything. And, I, and we say all these really popular verses, is greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. But unless you really believe that, it doesn't do you any good. In other words, your actions will be a reflection of the true belief that you have. So people wandering around, cowering right now, do they really believe that greater is he? That's the question we have to ask. I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm talking about like, why do we shut down in the face of adversity? Why when the government comes against people? I mean, let's just use this and let's just be real for a minute, okay? As you guys know, I kind of have a big mouth and I don't usually shy away from a whole lot. But when homosexual marriage became law, what were you hearing from church members? Well, Romans 13 says we have to obey the government, so we just kind of got to go along with it, um, except that it's in, it's a, they don't have the right to make that because they did not create marriage as an example. But they're like, oh, but the Bible says, as I've shown you guys, the enemy can use Scripture. We saw it in Matthew 4. He used Scripture against Jesus. Guys, this is the thing. If you are not equipped to rightly divide the Word, then you are not prepared. But then... We come to the verse of the day. Verse 14. It says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. This is where we're going to focus our attention today. i got a little video for you. Go ahead. That's where we are. We say we want the truth, but the reality is we can't handle it. We are not prepared. Now, that's from a classic movie, as most of you guys know. What does truth matter? Why do we care? Of course we believe in truth. The world around us believes in truth. But do they? In verse 14, it says, Therefore, having girded your waist with truth. In, in, in the NLT, it says, Stand your ground, putting on the belts of truth. In the NASB, it says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. There's something about this truth statement that is important. Something that Paul is trying to get across. Because you've got to understand, Ephesians 6 is not the only place that mentions the armor. Also in 1 Thessalonians 5, he mentions a bit of the armor. He says, verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Now, this is a very brief description, but showing an understanding that Paul had of the armor. He wrote to the Thessalonians before he wrote to the Ephesians. When he gets to the church of Ephesus, he's got this greater understanding, perhaps, of the armor of God. And he says to stand therefore. That is the word stenai, S-T-E-N-A-I, stenai. It means to stand upright. Stand therefore, stand upright. It gives an image of one who is so confident that he is standing with his head held high and his shoulders thrown back. Now, let me give you an example of this, all right? Some of you guys have never been to a powerlifting meet. I know Caden has, and, and I know your brother has. He's been in, in one before. But those guys, man, they walk up there. They're crazy. Some of these guys are crazy, okay? And you're picking up big weights. I can understand that. But they walk up there. Their shoulders are back. Their arms are out. They're walking around. They're getting themselves all psyched up. Some of them are hitting themselves in the head, it's crazy. Then they take this ammonia caps and they'll break it and they'll smell it. That's the stuff they wake people up that have passed out. They're, they're sniffing it. They'll throw it on the ground. They'll walk up on the platform, grab that bar, and jerk that thing up to the moon. 
I mean, it is something else. But there's this confidence there, this, this standing upright. What is this talking about for us? What are we to be? Ridiculously confident in the armor of God and the authority that we've been given. This is where we've got to be. It's exactly what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey. That when we have this full armor on, we have every reason to stand up straight and be confident in God. Now look at, at David as an example. When he goes against Goliath, Saul tried to throw his armor on him. He's like, listen, I haven't trained in this. I, I can't wear this stuff. And when uh, Goliath calls him out, he basically says, I took down the bear, I took down the lion, that uncircumcised Philistine will be next. He was confident because he knew God was with him. What happened to that? When did we lose that? I mean, you think about this. I read that last week, that we have more knowledge and understanding of Scripture today than any time in history because of the resources available to us. And we have a fullness of the Holy Spirit that David never had. And yet we walk around cowering. It's because we don't know. We don't stand upright. But it all starts with this belt of truth. Now let me give you an image of this here. This is a Roman soldier belt. They, they looked a little different. Now I'm going to break this down week by week for you guys to get an understanding. But I'll tell you this, and you wouldn't think this, but this is the most important piece in that armor. I don't know if my thing here works. Let's Maybe not. Okay, that's alright. You can see it. You can see that it's got these things hanging on it. Now this is obviously a, a remake of it. This isn't you know, something they dug up in archaeology, but it gets uh, an, an idea of the visual. I'm telling you that there is no more important piece than this right here. And you'll see why, because it gets interesting. Now, when it comes to the belt, as a, a, a typical fashion, it is the least interesting part of the wardrobe. Now, I am not into fashion at all. In fact, I hate buying clothes. I'd rather burn my money than buy new clothes. And maybe that's why you see me wear the same stuff for the last five years, because I don't want to buy new stuff. But for, for people who are into that, the belt matters, but it's not the most important. Unless you're a cowboy, then that belt buckle, that's where you're at. But it matters, but it's what does the belt do? And so here it is it's called as the belt of truth. Gird up your loins in truth. This here matters. Now, we kind of sit here and think, okay, well, I know truth. Truth is not a lie. It's the opposite of a lie. It's opposite of falsehood. It's opposite of this. But really, if you look at today's culture, there are two types of truth. There's what we call objective and subjective. Another term for subjective would be relative. It's true for you, but not for me. That kind of idea. So you've got objective standards and subjective standards. Subjective means it is up to your interpretation. It's up to whatever you feel is right. Whatever you think. We just say, oh, let people live whatever way they want. But for Christians, we stand on an objective truth. What is that objective truth? Well, it ultimately lies in Scripture. It is about the character of God. Now, examples that we use in this, and I've got, I've got some definitions here that I will read you so you guys can understand. Objective truth, which is rooted in the nature of the object under consideration and transcends the opinions of any subject considering this object. Did you catch that? 
All of you? Okay, good. Let me read that again. It's rooted in the nature of the object under consideration and transcends any opinion of any subject considering this object. Subjective is rooted in the opinions and beliefs of the subjects who hold them and vary from person to person. So, an objective truth comes from the character of God. Subjective truth is your opinion on His character. You guys get that? Now, subjective, you might like vanilla, I might like chocolate. Okay? That's a subjective opinion. Which is better? Well, which whatever one I like, of course. There's not an objective truth there. But the subjective is, is a matter of opinion. Now, when it comes to things of morality and nature, can it be subjective? They sure try. It's whatever you want to believe, you just go right ahead and believe it. You know, it's like when you hear people, it's like, well, listen, I would never have an abortion, but I don't want to stop somebody from having one. Well, there's a problem with that. It'd be like, well, I would never want to murder my toddler, but I don't want to stop someone else from the right to do so. I would never want to rob a bank, but I don't want to stop anybody else from that. Where does it stop? Because the principles behind it are exactly the same. The objective standard of which God has laid out is the truth. Right? When it comes to morality, uh, we talk about how God is objectively moral. He is the definition of good. He is what we look to. He is the standard. Whenever you have a standard, whatever that is, if this is the standard, if you come to this side, you are not meeting the standard. If you come to this side, you are not meeting the standard. One example we often see is Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, most people would consider a very good person. She did a lot of good works and all of that. And then you look at Adolf Hitler. Not really a good guy. Killing six million Jews. But if the standard is your opinion, sure, we can call Mother Teresa good and Adolf Hitler bad. But if the standard is God, what do we got to call them both? Bad. Because we can't meet this standard outside of Jesus. You guys with me? I just want you to get that. Because this matters. This is how important truth is. And understanding what Paul is referencing here. Because when it comes to the idea of this armor, when you look at a Roman soldier armor, the last thing you're going to notice is his stinking belt. You've seen him. I think I've got a picture. I've got a picture of that. I think I do. Maybe. There you go. You can kind of see. Like, look at that helmet. You see that guy walking down Main Street, you notice he's got this breastplate on. You notice it's, it's covered in abs, right? That's how I'd make it. He's got that massive shield. He's got that sword. He's wearing mandals just like Kyle. <laughs> he came wearing some armor. He didn't even know it. I mean, he's got all of this stuff. And behind that is this belt. So what does that belt mean? And what are we talking about with truth here? So let's look at Philippians 4, verse 8. What does truth matter? Why does it make a difference? It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, boy, I tell you what, you could, we could go all day here. Let's, let's start here. Whatever things are true, what are you to do? 
Think on these things. Meditate on them. Whatever's true. Whatever's noble, just, pure, and so on and so forth. Whatever is true. In other words, if it's not true, do not dwell upon it. Right? You guys with me? That means if you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you a report that, I'm sorry, you've got six months to live, and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what Scripture says. I'm not going to meditate on that. I'm going to stand on the Word. Guys, the day is going to come in America where you can no longer freely preach the gospel. It is going to happen. It has to for the whole end time thing to come about. So what happens? Well, they ask me not to do it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm just going to hide. We celebrate the church in China that's been underground. The pastors put their lives on the line every week, but we cower here in America. So, he says, whatever are true, why are we thinking and meditating on these? Because, as you've learned, the battlefield is always in your mind. He is constantly throwing things against you, trying to get you off the Word of God. If he can get you thinking wrong, he will get you acting wrong. We saw it with Eve, and we saw the attempt on Jesus. He even used Scripture to try to deceive Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He used Scripture in response. Whatever these things. Now, look at the last part. These things which you learned, received, and heard and saw in me. Now, this is Paul writing. In other words, listen guys, you learned from me because you were around me. You received from me because you were around me. You heard them from me because you were around me. And then you saw them in me because you were around me. Why is that the case? Because they did life differently than we do. We try to pack everything we can into a Sunday. I'll get my learning there. Discipleship means they are in your world. It has to. He did not have a weekly class for the disciples. Like, okay guys, Sunday at 10 a.m., come in. We're going to sing a couple songs. Uh, it's about me, but it's all good. And then you're going to learn something. Then you go about your week. No, every day they were around Jesus for three years. They saw His life. They saw what He taught. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit. And when it was their turn to act, they never backed down because for three years they watched every word that Jesus said come to fruition. Paul is saying, you saw these things in me. See, he has prepared them. So this belt seems insignificant, but it is not. The loin belt held every piece of the armor together. Every piece of it. The shield had a thing that it would tuck on, it would carry. That's a heavy shield and they would soak it in water. And I'll explain that more later. And then the breastplate would tuck in there and it would lock it into place. And the scabbard which held their sword would be there. It would be locked. The belt held everything together. Without that belt, everything literally would have fallen apart. They'd go into battle and something, that breastplate would have lifted up and they would have been vulnerable. The truth in that belt locked them together. That is why to a Roman soldier, the loin belt was vital part of the weaponry and from a spiritual implication here the majority of the armor is invisible because you don't see the breastplate and you can't see the helmet because they're all invisible weapons but I will tell you that you can see the belt of truth and you don't even know it because I want to show you today that the belt of truth and truth is this we often talk about the sword of the Spirit being the Word of God and it is but I'm telling you that this truth is the Word of God and it is the most important part of the armor. It is no coincidence that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write it the way that he did. He starts right in the middle. He didn't start at the top and work his way down. He didn't start at the bottom and work his way up. He started with the Word of God. Let me show you some verses. 
How do we know that he's referencing the word? Well, in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Your word. Now, there are two Greek words used for the word word. Logos, which is written word, and rhema, which is this fresh or revealed word from God. That's often how we, we apply it. That's often how we look at it. Logos would be this. A rhema would be something inspired. You have a word from the Lord, something inspired. Let me tell you something. Men wrote as they were inspired, right? So it's not so cut and dry. Let me show you another example. In John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Look at verse 14. The Word became flesh. That's how we know. He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So since we see the word, word used, and we're looking at the Greek because we're looking at one of these two definitions, we know that that word must be what? It's got to be rhema, because it's inspired and it's given, except it's not. It's logos. And we always say that that just simply means the written word, but the title of Christ is Logos used here. You see, there's more to it than we have an understanding. Don't just stop at the surface level. Let's dig in deep. In John 14, 6, it said, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus was the Word made flesh, and He is the truth. Now, stop. Why did He throw that in there? I am the way. The way to what? Well, in this context, he's talking about the way to salvation. I am the life. No problem. Yep. Because of his sacrifice, we find life. But why the truth? Why does the truth matter? Why does he throw that in there? Because just like it is today, there was a group of people that were teaching untruths. No man comes to the Father except through me. That means if you think you get to, to God any way other than Jesus, then you are wrong. They were teaching that very thing. They were rejecting Him as Messiah. The evidence was there. They rejected it. It's the same thing that happens today. Nothing's changed. Just the names and faces. The Word of God is truth. And in James 1, verse 16, it says this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own, he, of his own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Again, that word truth. 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 1. He says, We then as workers together with Him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything. That our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, tribulations, and needs, distresses, and strifes, imprisonments, and tumults, and labor, and sleeplessness, and fastings, by purity, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. And what's the next part? By the word of truth. By the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, evil report, good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. This truth matters. All these things they're facing, but they stand on truth. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works 
in you who believe. That means if you don't believe the Word, then it doesn't affect you in the same way that it does one who stands on it. We have verse after verse. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What are we talking about? Your ability to handle the truth of Scripture. Your opinion is irrelevant. What does it say? What did the author intend? Your beliefs on it do not change the truth that lies in it. If you reject that Jesus truly was Messiah, it does not make Him not Messiah. If you do not believe that God heals today, that does not mean He doesn't heal today. If you do not believe that salvation is through Christ alone, that does not negate that fact. Your belief in something that you call truth is absolutely irrelevant. Let me tell you something. If you adopt a belief that gravity is not real, it is conspiracy by NASA. Therefore, to prove it, you will step on the roof of the building and jump just to prove it. You will not float. That's the absurdity of what I'm talking about. Your belief in something does not make it true or not true. In essence of itself, it is objectively true that God is good. He's the standard of morality. That man had sinned, therefore death entered in. But Jesus came as the sacrificial lamb, giving life to those who want to find it. Through Him and Him alone. Because we are saved by His grace, in faith alone, in Jesus' work alone. You can't do anything else. Hallelujah. The thing is, we want to try to add stuff, but we can't do that. It always comes down to truth. We have to rightly divide the word of truth. Too often what we do is we get in a situation, we set down our Bible. Man, I've read that before. I don't have time. I'd rather be playing Fortnite, or right now I guess Minecraft is back in. I thought that died, but apparently not. I'd rather be doing all of this. I've put in my two chapters, my three chapters, my 30 minutes. Boy, I don't need to study anymore. I've read it. Our Bible, you are taking the belt off. The belt holds the rest of the armor together. Now you are exposed. We begin to lose our sense of righteousness. We begin to lose our sense of peace. We feel the joy of salvation begin to deplete because we are no longer thankful for what God has done because we no longer go in here and recognize what we were and what we now are because of Jesus. We cannot function as a believer without the Word of God having an active and central role in every part of our life. If you remove the loin belt, it's a matter of time before everything else falls apart. But what do we do? We try to replace that belt with things that we like. Sometimes we like church gatherings. We like music. We like, we like some of that. Oh, I can watch online. Oh, I listen to this podcast. What do we even do with prayer? Whatever else you want, the soup du jour of what makes you feel right with God. But those things will never hold a believer together long term. You can take the belt off and survive. You might even get intact and survive. But without the Word of God, you will not exist. You will not walk with your head held high, your shoulders back, the confidence that God has given to us. Now let's look at 2 Timothy 3 again. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what we're going for. We want to be equipped. We know it comes from Scripture. We know it's the Word of God. But what do those words, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness mean? Doctrine is what has God done for us. 
Reproof is what others did wrong. Adam and Eve, King Saul, all these things. That's why they're there. So you can see the example that they've given. Correction is what are we doing wrong that we need to correct. And instruction in righteousness is what we do for God. Those are the four definitions that we have to be thoroughly equipped. Now let me ask you something. We read in times past about the failures of, of King David, of King Saul, Adam and Eve. Pick any person you want. We see their failures, the good and the bad. Men who sinned against God perform sometimes heinous acts, yet are, are loved and adored by God throughout Scripture. We look at them as examples when we talk about discipleship. How can people do that if they are not in your life to see the good, to see the bad, to see the highlight reel, and to see the reel that you don't want anybody else to see? To see the time when you're standing on the street and you see somebody sitting in a wheelchair and you've got the boldness to walk up to them, preach the gospel, and pray for them. But not see the time where you were hanging sheetrock and you swung a hammer and you hit your thumb and you said naughty words. You see, the good and the bad, we have to be there every time. The ups and the downs, the failures of life. In order to be equipped and thoroughly equipped for every work, good work, we have to be around a body of believers growing together, picking each other up when we trip and fall, but always with one heart and purpose going after the Word of God. That is the belt of truth. The word equipped, broken down in Greek, is exartizo. E-X-A-R-T-I-D-Z-O. E-X-A-R-T-I-D. Zio. It means to completely outfit or to completely supply. What does that mean? Everything you need. It often depicted ships and wagons that were completely outfitted with every gear that they needed. All the supplies were there. They weren't short of anything. They could go out to sea for months and months and months and have no problem. Paul is telling us that the inspired Word of God is what equips us with everything that we need to walk in the power of God and maintain the victorious position over the devil. The Word is the voice of God. It's the only source that we can replace our bad thinking with God's thinking. As I said, the battlefield is in the mind. We are to renew our mind. I read this last week, Matthew 4, verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and nights, afterward he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, in a moment of physical weakness, the enemy came and attacked him with the one thing that most people would bow down. In. If you're the Son of God, turn those stones to bread. Did Jesus have the power to do that? He must have. If you come to me and says, if you're Chris, turn those stones to bread. First of all, it's not a temptation because I can't do it. Secondly, I don't get moved by carbs. Give me brisket. He came in him with a thought. And what did God, Jesus do? He replaced it with the truth. That comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 1, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all these... Uh, all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. So He humbled you, allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Israel was notorious for forgetting all the things that God had done for them. They would get in a position of good, They'd begin to forget. They'd go their own way. 
begin to sin, God would send judgment, they would repent, rinse and repeat. God is reminding them. What they did is they made God basically their errand boy. Oh, this bread sucks. Give me something. Oh, there's no water. Why'd you bring us out here to die? At least in Egypt we had food. God saw through their faith and through their trials. He was looking at that. This is what Jesus is teaching here. We live by faith. Faith in what? Not your opinion. Faith is grounded in truth. The truth is the word of God. Now look at this loin belt one more time because I told you everything hinges into this. Look at the spiritual side. It starts with truth. The truth is at the center. The breastplate's righteousness, the shield, faith, fine. The sword is the rhema word of God. We'll get into that soon because, there, boy, there's something. If you'll catch it when we get there, uh, it'll change your life. The helmet of salvation, the shoes, or the, they'll call them greaves. They also went up on the shin, was the gospel. But it all hinged around one thing. That is truth. People today deny truth. That's great that it's true for you that you go to church and you find some solitude in it and some happiness in it. Since 9-11, there's been an attack on, on Christianity from atheists because before that, they were willing to just let you have whatever crazy belief you had. That's good, it's true for you, but it's not true for me, yada, yada, yada. But after that fact, they saw the implication of somebody that had a deeply held belief, so much so that they're willing to sacrifice their own lives to fly planes into buildings as an attack on America, knowing that the promise was 72 virgins and essentially eternal life. Suddenly, this religious belief that was allowed to be passive in America was no big deal. Suddenly, like, we've got to do something about this. We've got to put our faith in science and faith in reality and faith in things that we can test and see and touch. But yet, today, we, we as believers have to stand on the Word because this mentality has jumped into the church that we begin to question the very Word of God. Now, you may not understand every part of it, but that doesn't negate its truth. One more passage, John chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And he said to him, who are you? And Jesus said, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world of those things which I heard from him. They do not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Who is he? Messiah. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. And He spoke these words. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. That's the key. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is the slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son, they abide forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is so powerful because what did he say? If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. What is his word? To us, it's scripture. To them, it's what he was saying. You're my disciples, and you'll know the truth, 
And the truth will make you free. It'll set you free. Free from what? Free of bondage. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to sickness and disease. We're no longer fearing death because we have hope. What was the hope? How did they know? Well, when you lift up the Son of Man, you'll know. Why? Because three days later, He's coming back. He verified His Word. He did exactly what He said He was going to do. Truth matters. That loin belt is crucial. We got many of the church running around today calling themselves believers because they, 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 they do these certain practices. They take the, the communion elements. They stand up. They sit down. They recite the Word. They went through some sort of a confirmation, whatever the case may be. Guys, here's the bottom line. If it's not in this Word, then I don't need it. This is what guides our lives and guides our doctrine. Our doctrine is not ours. It's what this says. you got a problem with it. Talk to God. Don't talk to me about it. The bottom line is this. We have gotten away from truth. We've gotten away from the Word. We are no longer boldly standing up and proclaiming what God has said. We cower in the face of an epidemic. We cower in the face of the fear of the repercussions of what happens when you stand up and boldly preach the Gospel. The day is coming in America where this may cost you your life. It happens around the world all the time. But in America, it may happen if believers do not stand up for what is right. We have abortion today because the church failed. We have prayer and the Bible removed from the schools because the church failed. We have an argument today of where we came from in the beginning because the church failed. Because we did not stand up for truth. We took the common belief of the day and tried to cram it into the Bible and say, this is what it must mean. It is time to put that belt of truth on. Stand up for what is right. And be bold with your head held high, your shoulders back, and walk in the authority that Jesus has given because we know what He's done for us.